to share with you today, be able to speak as Pastor Jerry is out of town. And so um, I never take this lightly, the opportunity to share God's word. And uh, when Pastor Jerry asked me a little, little over a month ago if I could share today, uh, I just began thinking about what uh, the Lord would have me share. And so um, this morning, the title of my message is Arrested by God's Love. That's the title of the message. And I want to begin this morning by making a confession, if I will. Um, we are not a Catholic church. We don't have confessional uh, booths in our building. But I'd like to begin this morning by making a confession, if I may. Can I do that? Is that okay? I'm just going to be real. In my 50 years of life here on planet Earth, I have never been arrested. Now, can I have a show of hands of those in the room who have been arrested? Can you? No, just kidding, just kidding. Just. We won't do that this morning. I have not been arrested, but I have, I, I have, uh, I, I've gotten a couple speeding tickets before. I'm just, I'm being real, being, I'm confessing here. My first uh, ticket I received was on graduation day when I graduated from high school. Got off work uh, early that day, and I was going to go over to a friend's house, and we were going to start getting ready for our graduation ceremony. My graduation, graduating class was so big, we graduated in the Tacoma Dome. It's huge. And so I was on my way to my friend's house, and I kind of took this back road I wasn't really familiar with, and um, saw the lights. I pulled over. Officer said, you're doing 35. And I said, yeah, I was. He goes, it's 25. This is a residential area. And I looked around, and there was not a house anywhere. <laughs> but you don't argue. I said, if, it, if it's 25, then I, I'm guilty. And so I got a, a ticket that day. And then shortly after I moved to Wenatchee 21 years ago, I confessed that I also had another speeding ticket. Um, I was not paying attention, was not driving recklessly, but I was going about eight miles over the speed limit, and I saw the lights, and I confessed to the officer, guilty as charged. So I just want to confess this morning that I have broken the law, the driving laws, but I've never been arrested. And that brings us to our topic for today, arrested by God's love. If you want to take notes, you can do so on your program that you maybe received when you are coming in the door today. Or if you're uh, wanting to get online, you can follow along if you go to our website, WFA. Dot church, and you go forward slash resources, and you go to the live stream. You can take notes right there on your personal device, and you have a copy. So, this morning we're going to look at the conversion experience of a man named Saul in the New Testament. We're going to look at this experience that he had. Now, he was a very religious and influential person, but he was also a man who was doing some pretty terrible things to Christian believers um, at this time of his conversion. Okay, so we're going to look um, at what took place in his life. Something changed in his life, and it was something that took place that was so radical, it not only changed his name, but it changed his life forever. So we're going to look at the life of Saul. So specifically, we're going to be in Acts chapter 9 this morning, so feel free to follow along. We're going to be in Acts 9, verses 1 through 19, and I'm going to read from the New Living Translation this morning. Acts 9, 1 through 19. Verse 1 says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath, 
and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way found there. The way, I'll just tell you really quick, that is anyone who's proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ is referred to. They were, they were telling of the way, the way. So that's what that means. Continuing on, he, this is Saul, wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Verse 3, as he was approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him, and he fell to the ground, and hearing a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they had heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he realized that he was blind. So his companions led him by hand to Damascus. He remained there blind uh, for three days and did not eat or drink. Verse 10. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so that he can see again. Verse 13. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I have heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. Verse 15. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul, and he laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterwards, he ate some food and regained his strength. Would you mind standing with me as we go to the Lord in prayer this morning? We'll just change our position for just a moment. Heavenly Father, as we stand in your presence this morning, ready to receive your word, I pray that not only will our minds be open for understanding, but God, our hearts be receptive. This is more than just a story from the Bible, something that was written down of, of historical significance. God, this word to us today is life. 
And I pray that we would hear from you individually today. We are listening collectively, but God, we know that you are speaking individually. So Father, I pray that the words that I share today would not be my own words, but that they would be words from you and that you would speak your word today into our hearts and to our lives. And I pray as we leave this place this morning that our lives would be changed and they would be different and we would have a different perspective of your wonderful love for us and your desire to bring transformation into our lives on a daily basis. And we thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing in prayer today. So in these 19 verses that we just read, they explained in detail Saul's conversion to faith in Christ, his process. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul refers back to this first encounter with Jesus. He refers to it as an arrest or as being apprehended. I want to read to you Philippians chapter 3 verse 12, and this is King James. Okay, so, so bear with me. Philippians 3.12, this is Paul speaking. It's not as though I had already attained it, nor were already perfect, but I follow after that I may apprehend that for which Christ Jesus also apprehended me. The word apprehend appears only in the King James translation, and it literally means to seize or to take hold of. Apprehend, it's pretty strong language, to apprehend, to seize, to take hold of. So what Paul was saying here in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, he says, I'm pressing on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. That's what he was declaring in Philippians 3. Saul's encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus almost seems ironic if you will, when you think about what, what Saul was attempting to do, okay? So it's, it's almost ironic. Saul was going to Damascus to apprehend Christians, right? That's what he's doing. He's apprehending Christians, taking hold of them and dragging them off to jail. That was Saul's mission. That's what he was about. He was in an arresting position on his way to Damascus. And it seems kind of ironic, isn't it? But Jesus in this travel, on this road, apprehends Saul, and he took hold of his life, and God never let him go. He was apprehended. And so that's what we're talking about this morning. And, and, and friends, I want you to know that this morning that Jesus wants to get a hold of our lives as well, so that way we might experience the restoration that he offers and to know his love. So this morning, we're going to look at some, some stages, several stages of this particular story of how God uh, used these stages to bring transformation into Saul's life. And these stages I'm going to bring up to you, there's five of them today. Um, Pastor Jerry's gone, so I'm trying to up him by two. So we normally have three, but so I'm just going to just kind of up us. So we have five stages. These stages might not be identical to our lives but you know what? We can learn more about God's love by seeing how far he is willing to go in pursuit of those who do not know him. So this is a great glimpse for us today to look at it. So we're going to go stage number one of our story, the first stage of what happens here. It says that Saul is arrested. He's arrested. Verses three and four. Let's go back to that. It says, 
as he was approaching Damascus on his mission, his mission to arrest Christians, right? A light from heaven suddenly shone down around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I love to think of it like this. Saul was busted for going down the wrong road. Maybe it wasn't blue and red lights from heaven that kind of shone down on him, you know what I'm saying? Like on my graduation day, that was a bummer. That was not fun. I had to go home and tell my, my mom and dad. And my friend I was going to visit, his father was retired law enforcement. And I said, I, I just got a ticket. And he's like, teenagers. Anyway. We know that, that, that Saul was busted by the Lord. He was busted right in there for going down the wrong road. Saul believed that he was fighting for God. He, he felt like he was doing the right thing when in reality it was he was fighting against God. He was doing the opposite. In fact, Saul was fighting against God's will even for his own life. He was, he was fighting against it. It reminds me of Acts chapter 5, something that took place. Jesus, we know, he came he lived 33 years among us here on earth. He had his disciples. They followed him. He was crucified. He was buried. He was raised to new life. Then he ascended to heaven. And then he sent the, the disciples, the apostles, out to preach the good news. So that all took place. And so it reminds me of in Acts chapter 5 where the apostles were doing that which Jesus had called them to. They were going out and they were sharing the good news of Jesus and the religious leaders were very upset that they were proclaiming the name of Jesus as a way of salvation. And they, 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 they came against the apostles. In fact, they would arrest them and throw them into jail. And then, then the Lord would miraculously release them from jail. And then the religious leaders would be like, hey, I thought those guys were in jail. Why are they preaching on the street corner again? And they'd arrest them again and they'd throw them in jail. It would go back and forth. And finally, they had had enough. And they wanted to kill the apostles. It was done. So, so they wanted to do this, but there was one particular Sadducee, this, one of the leaders of this religious group, Gamaliel, and he warned the other leaders about harming the apostles. Now listen to this. Listen to this. In Acts chapter 5, verses 38 and 39, this is what he says. So my advice is to leave these men alone. Let them go. If they are planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. So that's what reminds me now, thinking about Saul. You know, he, he thought he was fighting for God, but in reality, he was fighting against God. He thought he was doing something great for the kingdom of God. But Jesus stopped him in his tracks and gave him a reality check that day on the way to Damascus. Not only had he not been helping the God of Israel, but Saul was persecuting his Messiah, Jesus. Takes it to a whole new level. It's interesting when we look at the, the phrase that Jesus uses in his words to Saul. Okay? Now, you have to understand this. He says, why are you persecuting me? This is the first interaction that, that Paul and Jesus have ever had. This is their first encounter together. So that, that phrase, 
why are you persecuting me, might sound strange unless you look at it in the light of Matthew 25, 40, where Jesus says, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. So Jesus linked the treatment of his followers with the treatment of himself. And so while he's talking to Saul here, he's saying, why are you persecuting me? They had never met before. But think of those words that Jesus says to Saul right there. I want to ask you a question. Do you remember the time when Jesus took hold of you? When he arrested you? When he got your attention? Think of when that was. For some of you, it might have been 65 years ago. For others in here, it might have been five years ago. Think about the time when Jesus took hold of you. You see, he does it a lot of different ways for a lot of different people. We don't all have the same experience. Some people are overcome by their guilt and their sinful lifestyles. They just call out to the Lord, uh, asking him to save them before they, they come to destruction based on their lifestyle. And there's others who have to smash into a brick wall before they will call out to the Lord in help. Rarely do people ever call out on God when things are going well, when, when they're going exceptional. It's usually when you're going through difficult times. See, usually people have to get so low they have to look up to see the bottom of the barrel. You know what I'm talking about? Before they call out on God for help. And then they realize that doing things their own way doesn't seem to always work out so well. But this is, regardless of what your experience is and how God got a hold of your life and, and the moment that you realized that you needed a Savior and, and the whole restoration took place in your life, regardless of, of how it happened, all I know is this, that God accepts those who humbly seek him with all their hearts. It doesn't matter what your past looks like. I know that he accepts everyone who humbly seeks him with their whole heart. And if God has to stop us in our tracks to get our attention, then so be it, like he did with Saul on the road to Damascus. Saul saw the light. He saw the light and was arrested for fighting against Jesus and resisting his Grace. So that's going to lead us now onto stage two. If you're taking notes, stage two of our story is this. Paul is arraigned. He's been arrested, and now he's being arraigned. Verse five of chapter nine. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one that you are persecuting. When someone is arraigned, it usually takes place in a courtroom before a judge. And the charges are brought against the defendant. And he or she must plead either guilty or not guilty. That's usually what takes place in an arraignment. So if we take Jesus at his word this morning, when he says that the way his followers are treated is the same way that he is treated then Saul would have been guilty on two counts. He would have been guilty of murder, and he would have been guilty of assault. Those would have been two counts 
that would have been charged against Saul in this arraignment. Now, Saul might have never actually killed someone himself, but we knew, do know that he was standing by while other Christians were killed. For example, uh, Stephen, the martyr, the first martyr recorded in Scripture when Jesus came and said, proclaim the good news, Stephen was the first known martyr. And in that account of Stephen's martyrdom, the, the men of the, of the city were picking up rocks to stone Stephen. But they went and they laid their cloaks at the feet of Saul. He was standing by. There was, he had something to role to play in this. And they would lay their cloaks at his feet. And then they went and they stoned. And they, they killed Stephen. So we know that Saul was present. He was there approving and consenting of Stephen's death and many other Christians. And if Paul was part of the Sanhedrin, he would have made up one of the votes required to sentence any believer to prison or to death. That would have been his role. In Acts chapter 26, verses 9 through 12, he talks about this. Listen to what he says. He says, I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priests, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. He's talking about himself before this experience on the road to Damascus. This is the man that he was. So as Jesus indicts Saul on these multiple counts, I think Saul begins to realize just how far he has missed God. How far he's missed. You see, Saul realizes that he indeed is guilty of murder since he cast votes against many believers who were consequently put to death. And Saul is also guilty of assault, but not just assault in and of itself. He is guilty of divine assault. Why? Because he persecuted Jesus himself by persecuting Christian believers. Two counts, murder and divine assault. Saul is, is, is guilty. So he was arrested. He's had his arraignment. And that moves us to our third stage. And it's, our third stage is Saul is tried. He is tried. Now, about 15 years ago, I received something in the mail. Maybe you have received the same glorious piece of mail in your mailbox before. But it was a jury summons. Have you ever gotten one of those before? How many of you are like me? It's like, oh. Another one of these jury summons. Well, you know, I filled it out, sent it in, did what I was supposed to do, received the phone call. And they actually said, report, you, you need to come and report for jury duty. And I thought, well, I'm a pastor. They're not going to want me on the jury, right? No, no it's out. He, he's going to be biased. Oh, you know. So, I, you know, so they brought us in and they sat down and I just happened to be in this pool of all these people and, and, um, I was actually sitting, there was so many people there for this, for this pool, I was actually sitting in the jury box. And so they asked the people, and they finally they said, okay, we've made our decision on our jury. Uh, the rest of you may leave, um, and the rest of you who are sitting right now where you are just remain. And so I was chosen to serve on this jury. I'm thinking, how in the world did this ever happen? 
I got to call Pastor Jerry. I'm supposed to be back at work soon, you know? So I served, and it was quite an experience. It's so much different than the movies. I mean, you know, Hollywood, right, or TV. It was different. And I can't tell you a bunch of particulars, but it was a drug case that I was on the jury for. And so we served. I think we had uh, two days uh, for uh, the, the trial, and then we had a half a day of deliberations. And so it was quite an interesting thing to be on that side of it and to see our justice system at work and to serve as a jurist and the responsibility that came with that to make sure that, you know, I was paying attention and I was listening. And then when we had deliberations that, you know, I had a voice and in, 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 in the collective sharing around that table before we would give a, a verdict. And so I'll never forget that experience 15 years ago. I have not been called on since. Uh, maybe some of you have served on a jury, but, but here stage three is, is, is Saul is tried. And in, in his case, there is no separate trial for Saul. There's no opening statements for him. There's no cross-examinations. There's no witness statements. The court of heaven has already found him guilty on all charges. Think about that. The court of heaven has already found him guilty. In our legal system, we have something that's called due process. And that's a good thing because we want to make sure that people are not unjustly punished for something that they did not do. So there, there is a due process. However, since the court of heaven has all the details already, they're already recorded, they're already written down, a just verdict is quickly reached. The Bible tells us in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, his glorious standard that would enable us to live in God's presence. We all fall short of that. If we as a sinful people were to stand in the presence of a holy God, his, his glory would consume us. We, we, we wouldn't even be able to stand. We would not be able to approach him because his power of his holiness would, would literally destroy us. Because we have fallen. We are sinful. We have all sinned. We all need forgiveness. Amen? We all need it. We may have never killed anyone or done anything terribly wrong, but we are already guilty because we have inherited the sin and the guilt of Adam. You realize that? We have inherited the sin of Adam. Sin is literally a part of our human nature at our core. Do not listen to people when they tell you that humanity is, is ultimately good. It is not. Case in point, Russia and Ukraine. The heart of man is evil because of original sin. Because of original sin. It was Paul's sin and my sin and your sin that compelled Jesus to go to the cross. We needed a savior. He was the solution for our sin problem. Jesus was our solution. Until we call on the name of the Lord, we are in the same place that Saul was in, guilty as charged. No doubt about it. 
knowing that we have all fallen short of God's standard and are guilty of sin, the question is, well, now what? We're all guilty. We've all blown it. Now what? Well, Saul was just about to find out the answer to that question as we look at our fourth stage of his transformation. So, so stage four, all right, is Saul is sentenced. He is now sentenced. Acts 9, 6 from our reading. Jesus says, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And then a little further on in verse 16, Jesus tells Ananias, I will show him, Saul, how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Saul is sentenced. He was arrested, he was arraigned, convicted, and now he faces sentencing before God. All this is taking place on a road on the way to Damascus. It's all taking place right here. And I have to wonder, I don't know about you, I have to wonder what Saul was thinking as this is all taking place. We, we read the account, but what was going on in Saul's mind? I think it was the ultimate wake-up call, right? And notice how Jesus doesn't like give him any consoling, encouraging words. No. He says, you've been persecuting me. I'm not happy. You have not done what is right in my sight. Get up and go. There, there, was, a whole, there was none of these huggy, huggy, huggy moments. All of us want these nice little huggy moments with Jesus. But there's times where he has to call it out like it is. Saul didn't get those words from Jesus. He, he, he probably wanted, but he doesn't speak any comforting words. So based on what Jesus revealed to Saul, Saul knows that he's guilty, right? If Jesus really is the Messiah, then Saul has unjustly persecuted and caused the death of many of the followers of the Messiah. This is all a realization to him now. So when Jesus tells Saul to get up and go into Damascus and, and wait for further instructions, Saul doesn't know what that means. I've got to go. He, he might be... I'm, I got to go there because I'm in trouble. I mean, he doesn't know. He, he, he might be thinking, I'm going to go there and, and I'm going to have more trouble because I've done these wrong things. I might even go there and I might have to die. Who knows what's going on in Saul's mind at the time? He was just told to get up and to go. But understand this. In one sense, Saul received the death penalty that day. You're like, he received he received the death penalty. Jesus wants to give Saul life, but it's going to require Saul to die to himself and to sin. He's offering this to Saul. In fact, several years later in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, Paul writes these words, I die daily. I die daily. Also, later on in Colossians 3, 3 through 6, Paul writes this. For you die to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy 
For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. That's what Saul wrote later on. So in order to receive the life of Christ, Paul is sentenced to death daily. You you catch that? If he is sentenced to, to life in Christ, that's what Christ wants to bring into him, he is sentenced to die on a daily basis. And this doesn't just apply to, to Saul, it applies to us as well. If we want the life of Christ, we have to die to ourselves daily. If we do not keep the old person we were dead, then Christ's life will not have its effect in us. That is tweet-worthy. I don't tweet, but that would be something good to to put on Twitter. You could put it on your Facebook page. I'm going to say it again because that kind of brings it all together. If we do not keep the old person we were dead, then Christ's life will not have its effect in us. Catch that this morning. We need to do what it says in Colossians 3, 5. We just read, put to death the sinful earthly things. Why death? Why do we have to put these old things to death? Well, Romans 6, 7 says, for the person who has died with Christ has been freed from the power of sin. So we want to put the old things to death because when those things die, then we can live freely in Christ. There has to be a death that takes place, that spiritual death. Saul was not only sentenced to death, however, he was sentenced to life in Christ and in Christ's service. In Christ's service. This is how Paul speaks of the ministry God has called him to. In 1 Timothy 1.12, He writes, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, and he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Paul, I'm sorry, Saul, and he will become Paul later, he says that he is a bond servant to Jesus Christ. Titus 1.1, he declares that. He is a bond servant. You know what a bond servant is? We know the word servant, but what's a bond servant? A bond servant is someone who serves someone. They are a slave to someone, but they receive no wages. They receive no compensation. 100%, they serve wholly out of themselves as a slave. Paul says, I am a bond servant to Jesus Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. I will serve him. I will serve his kingdom. I will serve his purposes with my life because I'm committed to him because what he has done for me. That's how he describes himself. And friends, we are servants of Jesus too. We are his servants. Romans 6.22 says, but now you are free from the power of sin. Someone say amen. We are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do these things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. The old is gone. The new has come. It's a transformation that takes place. What a privilege and a responsibility we have to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We were not created to serve ourselves 
as the world wants us to believe. We were not created to serve ourselves. It is God's kingdom, and we serve him out of love and out of gratitude, thankfulness for all he has done for us. How can we not want to serve Jesus? How can we not want to serve him for all that he has done? We, like Saul, are sentenced to die daily to our old selves in exchange for the new life in Christ. And this leads to our final stage. Believe it or not, stage five, we're going to wrap it up. Stage five, Saul is restored. He's restored. Verses 17 through 19 of Acts chapter 9. So Ananias went and found Saul, and he laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. So as Paul spent three days praying and repenting and fasting, he had time to really think about how far he had really missed God and God's purposes. I think he probably felt ashamed and guilty at the way he had fought against God. And, and during this time, I wonder if, if Saul thought like, what are the followers of Jesus going to think about me and all that I've done? Or would they even consider accepting me? I don't know what was going on during these three days. But we know that at the end of these three days, Ananias came to minister the Lord's healing to Saul. And when Ananias came to him, he said the words, brother. You notice that? Brother Saul. Now, when we use the word brother with someone's name, it sounds kind of like a religious thing that we might do today. I don't know about you. My grandpa was an Assembly of God pastor, so I grew up in the church. And back in those days, it was brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so, and this is what we did, right? So, you know, brother Steve, you know, I mean, I, I, that's how you address somebody, okay? That's just the way that you would do it. Sister Kim, that, that was appropriate. That's what you do. And it seemed like that was just the way things were done back then. However, in these days, what we're talking about right here was Saul and Ananias, when, when Ananias uses the word brother, it was an affectionate term. Used to describe someone that you were close to and you had much in common with. So when you use that word brother, that was the connotation. And so as Ananias says, brother Saul, this is what Saul would have heard or understood. I love you and accept you as someone who is valuable to the Lord. And I'm glad that you are part of the family. That's the connotation using that word brother would have had. And so Saul hears this from Ananias. Again, almost as though God was speaking right to him. Brother Saul, you are loved. You are accepted. We are glad that you're part of the family. And after Ananias accepted Paul and touched him, the Bible says that Saul's sight was restored. And not only was Saul's physical sight restored, but we also know that his relationship with God was restored. His eyes were important. All of us want to be able to see, but that wasn't the most important thing. God wanted to restore his heart. He wanted to stop him in his tracks and say, you're going the wrong way. You're going about this wrong. You're not fighting for me. You're fighting against me. 
And God had to take him through this process so he could finally restore him. He restored his physical sight, but ultimately he restored his relationship with God. You see, God is in the restoration business, friends. This is what he does. The mission of God is to restore things. That's what he does. He takes that which is broken apart and he restores it and he puts it back together. And it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden where the mission of God began. We know that God created the world. He he said it was good. And then Adam sinned. And at that moment, relationship was broken between a holy God and now a sinful man. And the mission of God was birthed right then and there. God said, I will restore mankind unto myself. He was willing to be about that mission. And eventually we know that Jesus had to come and he had to die on the cross and shed his blood for us so that we could have forgiveness of sins and we could have a restored relationship with God the Father. That had to take place in order for the mission of God to be accomplished in the world. That had to take place. And so this is, we understand that because of that original sin, God's mission was born. And I believe that when Saul first started out, I believe, you know, he was sincere in his desire to do what was right for the Lord. I believe that was his original intent. But at some point, his zeal for God, his enthusiasm, his passion, along with the the Jewish religious system, he had crossed over at some point to hatred of Jesus and his followers. But after he encountered Jesus on the road, Something wonderful took place in his life. God gave him a new, humble heart in this experience, and he was broken. And the Lord breathed life into the soul of a man who had become hard and distant from God. That's what took place. And then out of this, we know that Saul became a new person. He experienced a total transformation, and as a result, he inherited a new name. Paul. No longer Saul, he is now Paul. Paul the Apostle, who wrote many of the New Testament books, who's one of the greatest heroes of faith of all time. The transformation that took place, he was changed. So in conclusion this morning, I'm going to ask the worship team if they would come out and and join me. Um, We're getting ready to receive communion in just a few moments. I hope you've received communion your elements, but I've asked the worship team to come and they're going to play a song and uh, we're going to prepare our hearts and, 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 and be in, in a position to receive communion together. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me as the team comes? As we close, I just, I just want to say again that God wants to put a stop to our old way of living so that way we can experience his restoration and know his love. That's what he's all about. And we saw this in in Saul's life. God arrested him. He took hold of him. He was arraigned, convicted, sentenced. But finally, in the end, he was restored. All those things had to take place in order for there to be a restoration. And we saw that on display. You know, most of us will never be blinded by a light from heaven or have a face-to-face encounter with Jesus the way that Paul did. However, if he has not already done so, Jesus wants to arrest you today. He wants to get a hold of your life 
with his love. He wants to take your life and to make it into something wonderful. So I wanna speak just for a moment to anyone who's here physically in this room, auditorium, for those who are also watching online, I wanna speak quickly to each of you who maybe have not asked Jesus to forgive you and to become the leader in your life that he desires to be. I just wanna encourage you, don't wait for the bottom to fall out, for things to get so bad until you just can't cope with it on your own anymore. Don't wait. You have been chosen for a better of life. And it's not the promise of a perfect life, but it's what you were created for, a life in Christ. We were all created to have a close relationship with God the Father through Jesus, his one and only Son. And if you will simply confess your sins to the Lord and let him to be the leader of your life, God will restore you. He'll do it this morning. Even right now, just begin to, if that's you, you have not allowed him to be the leader of your life. Will, will you just confess your sin? Say, Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God. You came to the earth to die for all the sins that I've ever committed. And I will commit myself to you. I can confess that you are Lord over my life and I will live for you forever. Begin to have that conversation right now if that's you. It's a simple conversation, but it will transform your life if you will just surrender yourself to Jesus. Or maybe there's others here today and you've asked Jesus to forgive you, but you're not really allowing him to lead your life. You've asked him into your heart, but are you allowing him to lead your heart? See, in reality, maybe you're more in control than, than, than you're allowing God to be in control. And that's what I encourage you this morning. Will you scoot over and allow Jesus to drive? Will you remove yourself from the driver's seat and allow him to take control? And if that's you this morning, right now, begin to tell him. Say, Father, I do love you, but I realize I'm holding on to the steering wheel and I want you to lead my life. You have that conversation with them right here, right now. And as the worship team begins to lead us in this song, you continue to have that conversation if that's where you're at this morning. But we're gonna prepare our hearts to receive communion together as a restored people to God in heaven because of what his son Jesus has done on our behalf. So I'm gonna ask the worship team to lead this.